One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Today we have a crazy story of revenge against a person that someone truly loved. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, never mess with my family. My dad told me this story today over lunch, and it seemed completely appropriate with this subreddit. There are two things to know before I tell this story. These events took place in the 1970s, in a third world country, where justice is obtained with one's own hand and family, for better or worse, is unconditional. My maternal family on my grandmother's side is known in her town for having outbursts of anger, the kind that blurs vision and turns everything red, and a strong temper. No one in my family embodied these qualities more infamously than my great-grandmother, Mama Delia. Mama Delia was an implacable woman, violent with her words and her fists as well. With Mama Delia, my grandmother, her siblings, and later my father's generation, making a mistake, no matter how small, was a death sentence. Mama Delia was married to my great-grandfather, obviously, a magistrate of the Supreme Court of Justice of my country and, according to my father, a good man and highly respected by all. But the moment that he walked through the door of the house, his authority ended and my great-grandmother's tyrannical rule began. Nothing was done or undone without her will, and as you can imagine, my grandmother and her siblings resented her greatly. Mama Delia has been dead for 40 years now, but stories of her are still told at family gatherings. They also say that everyone in my family, my grandmother, who if you knew her would say I'm lying, she's a sweetheart, and her children inherited her choleric gene that comes out from time to time in an explosive and memorable way. My great-grandparents had four sons, but only one is relevant in this story, Jose. Jose was the second and most rebellious of them all, the one who could not stand Mama Delia's mistreatment, and he let her know it all the time. He was the only one who stood up to her and consequently the one who suffered the most. It was when Jose turned 15 that he decided never again to let himself be mistreated or abused by her. And of course, Mama Delia had something to say about it. I don't know exactly the details, but something my uncle did that upset her deeply. Years before, Mama Delia would have responded with leashes and screaming. But since my uncle was already 15, he was taller and stronger than her mother she had to resort to an alternative tactic. She decided to call a policeman to the house. And what was her instructions to the policeman? To give my uncle the beating of his life. That was the last day my great uncle lived at his parents' house. But where I come from, family is the most important thing, impossible to escape. Four years later, my great-grandparents moved to their new house in another part of town. Next to them lived the Cordobes. The parents, normal people, but the son, Reuben, was another story. Reuben was about 25 years old. Reuben did not study, nor did he work or help with household chores. I don't know this for a fact, but I can imagine it. Reuben spent all his time and energy on two things. Growing his muscle mass until he looked like an Andean Arnold Schwarzenegger and insulting my parents every time he saw them walking down the street. My dad couldn't tell me why. Maybe Reuben was just like that or maybe Mama Delia said or did something to him at some point. I wouldn't be surprised either. What he did tell me was that Reuben's aggressiveness towards my great-grandparents was so extreme that he wouldn't even let them walk on his side of the sidewalk, claiming it was his. My great-grandparents never did anything about it. My great-grandfather had his first child at 46, and my grandmother at 36, so they were already old by then. 
and for some mysterious reason, they never told anyone what was going on with Ruben either. This is where Jose comes in again. His relationship with his mother was strained and conflicted, which did not stop him from visiting them every so often to see his father and his three siblings. That day, my great-grandparents were returning home, and of course Ruben's shouts, insults, and obscene rudeness were there to accompany them as they opened the door to their house. What he didn't count on was that Jose was arriving at the same moment and heard everything. The world went first black and then red. Like a worthy son of Mamadelia, Jose exploded. He lunged at Ruben three times, all three times with a blow to the face. Ruben knocked him effortlessly to the ground. Faced with such a beast, anyone else would have abandoned the fight. Jose did not. Jose was used to the pain, the blood and the bruises that remained weeks later. Jose had lost his fear of confrontation years ago. Jose stood up one last time, under Ruben's insults and taunts, and charged him. I don't know how he did it, perhaps Ruben had let his guard down, but he managed to land a kick on his opponent's shin. Ruben did not fall to the ground completely, but he was destabilized. Ruben didn't know it, but he had already lost. My great uncle climbed on his back, as if riding a mad bull at a fair and grabbed him by the head and slammed him repeatedly against the pavement. The smashed face, the teeth scattered on the ground, and the torrent of blood were not enough for Jose. What he did next was to grab Ruben by the hair and drag him up and down the street twice until my older great-uncle stopped him. The story ends with Ruben in the hospital, his face unrecognizable and deformed, and my uncle disappearing for a week to avoid any kind of retaliation. Never again did my great-grandparents have problems with Ruben, although Jose's relationship with Mama Delia never improved despite what happened. You know, it's stories like this and exchanges like this that make me kind of happy that I'm not a confrontational person. Not that I should end up in a situation where this could happen, but still, I don't want it happening to me. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you guys enjoy crazy stories of revenge, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our next story is The Discord Next Door. I don't know how, but I made her cry. Sarah and I had embarked on a journey to find a place we could truly call home. After months of searching, we stumbled upon our haven nestled within a sprawling apartment complex. This complex was an expansive community, comprising 53 buildings, each soaring six stories high. With four apartments on every level, it housed a multitude of diverse residents, each with their unique stories and quirks. Our search for this idyllic abode had not been without its challenges. We had endured a series of less than ideal living situations in the past. Our previous apartments had been marked by noisy neighbors, cramped spaces, and the perpetual hum of city life. We were determined to escape the chaos and carve out a tranquil space where we could create lasting memories together. Finally, we found it. A cozy apartment on the first floor of Building 42 tucked away from the bustling city streets. The moment we stepped inside, we knew we had discovered something special. It was bathed in natural light, and the walls echoed with the echoes of laughter from previous inhabitants. This was where we decided to build our life together. Our days in this new home had been filled with simple joys. The soft patter of rain against the window pane as we sipped tea, the playful antics of Max, our loyal dog who greeted us with boundless energy every evening, and the warmth of Sarah's smile that brightened even the dreariest of days. We had relished every moment, cherishing our newfound peace and the love that had blossomed within these walls. Little did we know that our tranquility would soon be disrupted by the arrival of a neighbor 
who seemed oblivious to the sanctity of our home, or perhaps just didn't care. Our tranquil life in the apartment complex was abruptly brought to an end by the arrival of Bella, a woman whose behavior baffled us from the moment she moved in. It was a stark contrast to the customary ritual Sarah and I had developed to welcome new neighbors to our community. Bella arrived on a particularly balmy evening, her clothes contrasting vividly with the backdrop of the bustling complex. Unlike our previous encounters with new neighbors, Bella made no effort to introduce herself. Bella made no effort to introduce herself or extend a friendly greeting. Instead, she seemed wholly engrossed in her phone, holding it close as if it were her lifeline to the world. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This absence of a neighborly introduction was the first sign that Bella had no regard for the social norms we had come to expect. Sarah and I had always cherished the sense of community in our complex. Whenever someone new moved in, we made it a point to pay a visit bearing a small housewarming gift and a warm smile. It was our way of establishing connections and fostering goodwill with those who shared our living space. But Bella seemed to have missed that memo entirely. Instead of extending an olive branch of friendship, she would, like clockwork, stroll right outside our bedroom window around 8 or 9 p.m., dressed in her pajamas, and engage in endless late-night conversations. It was a ritual that repeated itself without fail, and she'd linger there for what felt like an eternity. This blatant disregard for our customary neighborly gestures and her incessant late-night conversations outside our window left us baffled and increasingly frustrated. We couldn't understand why she chose this specific spot, so close to our personal space, to carry out her conversations, especially when the complex offered numerous communal areas for residents to enjoy. It wasn't just the late-night phone calls that grated on our nerves. It was the indifference with which Bella went about her business, seemingly oblivious to the disturbance she was causing. We felt as though we were being pushed to the brink, our patience tested in ways we had never imagined. Little did we know that these late night conversations were just the beginning of a series of bizarre and intrusive behaviors that Bella would unleash upon us, shaking the very foundations of our peaceful life in the complex. Day by day, Bella's intrusive ritual seemed to intensify gradually wearing down the last threads of our patience. Sarah and I were left bewildered, struggling to comprehend why she persisted in choosing this very spot for her late-night phone calls when the complex provided numerous common areas designed for such activities. We often wondered why Bella didn't opt for a more suitable location within the complex to conduct her conversations, 
After all, there were peaceful courtyards, cozy lounges, and even a designated communal garden where residents could socialize without intruding upon the privacy of others. It was as if she had singled out our bedroom window as her stage, determined to test the boundaries of our tolerance. At first, I attempted subtler approaches to convey our annoyance. One evening, as Bella embarked on yet another lengthy phone call, I decided to pull the blinds open. My intention was clear to let her see our discomfort and perhaps inspire some consideration. Yet Bella remained unfaced, her conversation continuing unabated. It was as though she were impervious to the discomfort she was causing. Her indifference only served to exacerbate our frustration. Sarah and I had cherished the serenity of our home, and the intrusion of Bella's late-night conversations was beginning to cast a shadow over our once peaceful haven. We longed for the days when we could unwind without the persistent background noise of Bella's phone calls, which had become a dissonant soundtrack to our evenings. As we lay in our bed, with the soft glow of the moonlight filtering through the window, we exchanged exasperated glances. Our home was meant to be a sanctuary, a place where we could escape the outside world's chaos. Yet, with each passing day, it seemed that Bella was determined to test our resolve, challenging our right to enjoy the tranquility we had fought so hard to establish. Our sense of discomfort and the growing divide between us and Bella only served to deepen our resolve to address the situation. We knew that our peaceful life was at stake, and we couldn't allow Bella's intrusion to shatter the tranquility we had cherished for so long. It was time to confront the source of our frustration and seek a resolution, even if it meant resorting to unconventional methods to regain our peace. As days turned into weeks, my patience wore thinner with each passing evening. The intrusion into our once peaceful home was becoming unbearable. It was as if Bella's relentless phone conversations had become a haunting symphony, a dissonant cacophony that echoed throughout our lives. Earlier this week, as I returned home from work, a sinking feeling washed over me as I approached our apartment. I knew what awaited me, and I couldn't shake the frustration that had become a constant companion. There she was again, perched right outside our window, seemingly oblivious to the disruption she was causing. The clock had struck 8pm, and like clockwork, Bella had arrived to resume her nightly ritual. My usual coping mechanisms, the subtle attempts to convey our discomfort, had proved futile. Bella had remained steadfast, engrossed in her phone call as if the world beyond her conversation didn't exist. It was as if she had built an impenetrable wall around herself, a barrier that prevented her from recognizing the discomfort she inflicted upon her neighbors. This time, I knew I had to take a more direct approach. The frustration that had simmered beneath the surface erupted like a volcano. I couldn't stand the intrusion any longer, and I felt a surge of determination. I had endured enough, and it was time to put an end to this nightly ordeal. I stormed into our apartment, my footsteps echoing with an uncommon urgency. I knew what I had to do. With swift determination, I fetched my trusty speaker, a powerful one that could fill our entire living space with music. I cranked up the volume as loudly as possible, the sound resonating through the apartment. The speakers were positioned strategically, right next to the window that Bella favored for her incessant conversations. As the music blasted out, I felt a strange mix of emotions, relief, vindication, and a hint of guilt. It was a drastic response, a retaliation of sorts to Bella's relentless intrusion. The sounds emanating from the speakers were powerful, drowning out her phone conversation. I could only hope that this audacious act would finally convey the message that we had endured enough and that our patience had worn thin. As I stood there, the music reverberating in our apartment and spilling out into the shared space, I couldn't help but wonder about the consequences of my bold move. 
Would Bella finally take the hint and retreat, allowing us to regain the peace we had once enjoyed? As the evening wore on, the apartment complex became a battleground of sound. The deafening war of decibels had erupted, with my music blaring from the speakers at maximum volume. It was a sonic onslaught that reverberated through the walls and floors, filling the shared space with an overwhelming cacophony. I had unleashed a torrent of noise, determined to overpower Bella's incessant phone calls and reestablish the peace we had cherished. Our building seemed to tremble with the intensity of the sonic warfare we had unleashed. It was a surreal experience, as if the very walls were bearing witness to our confrontation. My heart raced with anticipation and apprehension, uncertain of how Bella would react to this audacious retaliation. Through the deafening music, I could only hope that my makeshift solution would finally convey the message we had struggled to articulate through more subtle means. I wanted Bella to understand the depth of our frustration, to recognize the boundaries she had crossed, and to acknowledge the impact her actions had on our lives. At that moment, as the clash of decibels continued to echo through the complex, I couldn't help but wonder if this bold move would drive Bella away, or if it would escalate our conflict into a battle neither of us could truly win. Only time will tell. That night as Sarah and I retired to bed around 10.30 to 11pm, an unexpected stillness settled over our apartment. The deafening music had ceased, replaced by an eerie quietude. It was as if the complex itself had taken a collective breath, waiting to see how this unusual standoff would unfold. Bella was nowhere to be seen, and her absence was conspicuous in the tranquil silence that enveloped us. The apartment complex had fallen silent, and I couldn't help but wonder if my bold move had finally succeeded in conveying our message. Sarah and I exchanged glances, our expressions reflecting a mixture of relief and uncertainty. Had Bella finally retreated, grasping the impact of her actions? Or was this just a temporary ceasefire before the conflict resumed? We lay in bed, our thoughts racing, our ears attuned to any sign of Bella's return. The tension in the air was palpable, and we both knew that the events of the evening had irrevocably changed the dynamics of our relationship with our new neighbor. As we drifted into an uneasy sleep, we couldn't help but reflect on the unexpected turn of events. While the clash of decibels had momentarily quelled Bella's intrusive behavior, it had also left us with lingering questions about the future. Would this respite be short-lived, or had Bella truly understood the gravity of her actions? Only time would reveal the answers, and we braced ourselves for the uncertainties that lay ahead. As the old saying goes, no peace without war and it seems that our respite from the clash of decibels had been nothing more than a temporary ceasefire. The next day, I returned home from work. My anticipation tinged with a sense of dread. I couldn't shake the feeling that the battle was far from over. Sure enough, as I approached our apartment, I spotted Bella right back where she began, engaged in yet another phone call as if nothing had changed. The familiar sense of frustration welled up inside me, and I knew I couldn't allow her to win this battle of wills. Our peaceful haven was at stake, and I was determined to reclaim it. Summoning every ounce of politeness and firmness I could muster, I walked up to Bella. It was time to have a candid conversation, to convey how her seemingly innocuous actions had disrupted our lives. I understood that we shared a common space, but there were limits to what one could reasonably expect in terms of privacy and quiet. In a measured tone, I asked her to move explaining how her conversations disturbed us, especially when we were right next to our bedroom window. I wanted Bella to understand that we weren't seeking an unreasonable request 
but merely hoping for a peaceful coexistence within our shared living space. However, Bella's response was far from what I had expected. Instead of acknowledging the discomfort her actions had caused, she just stared back at me, her eyes filled with an odd mix of defiance and anger. It was a reaction that left me momentarily speechless as if I had stumbled upon an enigma that refused to be unraveled. Despite her initial defiance, I repeated my request, determined to find a resolution to our conflict. Bella finally relented, though begrudgingly. She muttered an agreement to leave, her reluctance palpable in the air between us. It was a small victory, a momentary truce in our ongoing battle for peace and tranquility within our shared living space. As I watched her retreat, I couldn't help but wonder about the complexities that had led us to this point. Our confrontation had ignited a tension that seemed to hang in the air long after Bella had left. It was a reminder that, while we had made progress in addressing our issues, the resolution of our conflict was far from assured. The battle for our peaceful haven would continue, and we were bracing ourselves for the challenges that lay ahead. The confrontation, it turned out, was far from over. Just minutes Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. After Bella's begrudging agreement to leave, I couldn't believe my ears. I could still hear her outside the window, defying our arrangement as if it had never existed. Furious and frustrated, I could feel my patience wearing thin. Without hesitation, I flung open the window and addressed her once more. I insisted that she honor our agreement, reminding her of the disturbance her conversations had caused us night after night. It was a plea for understanding, an attempt to resolve and a demand for respect for our right to peace within our own home. But Bella, now visibly angry, was far from cooperative. She claimed vehemently that she wasn't even speaking loudly, let alone causing a disturbance. Her tone grew defensive and her words came sharp and cutting. She argued that the space outside our window was public, asserting her right to be there without any regard for the discomfort she was inflicting upon her neighbors. Our exchange grew increasingly heated the tension between us escalating with each passing moment. It felt as though there was no end in sight, no common ground upon which to build a compromise. I remained resolute, maintaining that her presence was causing us considerable discomfort, not only as a couple but also for the well-being of our once peaceful home. Bella, on the other hand, remained stubborn and unyielding. She refused to budge from her position, convinced that her right to use the shared space trumped our right to enjoy our home in peace. It was a battle of wills, with neither of us willing to back down, and the clash of ideologies left us at an impasse. As we stood there, locked in this intense verbal skirmish, it became clear that our confrontation had evolved into something much deeper than a mere disagreement over space. It was a battle for the definition of boundaries, a contest of endurance and willpower, and a struggle to determine who had the right to dictate the terms of life within the apartment complex. In that charged moment, with the air thick with tension, it became evident that our path forward was uncertain, and the resolution of our conflict was shrouded in ambiguity. We were locked in a battle of wills and neither of us were prepared to relent, leaving our shared living space fractured and our once peaceful haven hanging in the balance. Then, amid our heated confrontation, 
something unexpected occurred. Bella, who had been standing her ground with an air of defiance, suddenly turned her head away from me. Her body language changed and I noticed something glistening in the corner of her eye. Tears. We stood there in an uneasy silence, the tension between us palpable. It was as if a storm had suddenly abated, leaving behind a calm after the tempest. Bella's tears spoke volumes, revealing a layer of vulnerability that had been hidden beneath her tough exterior. The conflicting emotions she harbored, a mix of frustration and sorrow, were etched across her face. Finally, Bella made a move that surprised both of us. She slowly stood up, her shoulders visibly shaking as she did so. It was as if the weight of our confrontation had taken a toll on her, breaking down her emotional defenses. She walked away without saying a word, leaving behind a sense of unease and uncertainty. As I watched Bella's retreating figure, I couldn't help but feel a strange mixture of relief and compassion. It was a surreal conclusion to our intense standoff, and I couldn't shake the feeling that there was more to Bella's behavior than met the eye. Returning to our apartment, I shared the strange encounter with Sarah, who had been understandably upset by the situation. We both pondered the complexities of the situation, wondering about the factors that had led to this unexpected turn of events. Even Max, who had barked incessantly throughout the confrontation, seemed to sense that the tension had lifted and that a moment of reprieve had finally arrived. Perhaps now, forever. I mean, I guess you never really know what all anybody's going through that might cause them to be acting out. But I mean, bottom line, you kind of have to fight fire with fire and give them a blasting of sound if they're giving you a blasting of sound, if the landlord or anybody else who may be able to hold them accountable doesn't do anything. I mean, what other option are you left with? This next story is The Last I'd Seen of Angel. For as far back as five years ago, I had this hatred and drive for revenge towards someone I truly loved. Looking at it from one angle, one could easily tell that all that happened to me was all done out of spite. That was initially not meant for me or targeted at me, but seeing the kind of family background I have, and the people I apparently grew up with, I guess it was unavoidable. But the one thing that truly was unfortunate about the whole event is that in the course of all that happened, one would really think that your family would be the last group of people that would have the littlest of faith in you and all. I guess that's not the case for everyone. My story goes as far back as my college days, which was six years ago, up until five years ago when I'd finally gotten the revenge I'd been craving for so very long. My name is Anthony, and I have for the most part of my life been the one and only child of my family. This has been the case seeing as my father, being the sole owner and chief executive officer of the family's business enterprise and all. You could say we were fairly well off and all, but there was one thing I never seemed to have, even after being provided everything by my parents and all, and that was just a normal life, and also people I could confidently beat my chest outside for and call my true friends and all. Back when I was in high school, my dad had enrolled myself and my only sibling, my younger sister Emily, into the most prestigious school he had contacts in. And seeing as the principal had deep relations with my father and all, we were given the best of treatment in school, almost to the point that other students in the school were already getting upset as to why we alone were being given preferential treatment amongst all the students in the school. The kind of treatment we received, even the head of the parents' teacher association's ward, did not receive them. We were basically put as the number one priority in the school. And while my younger sister Emily enjoyed and accepted this, I was wholly against this, as I didn't like the feeling of using my family's wealth and power, or I could say influence, to feel superior to others. In some cases, we were fully exempt from attending classes when we weren't up for it. 
and without consequences at that, during the compulsory sport activity period we were also exempt. If we felt we weren't feeling it at that moment, just the little things that my sister considered normal, seeing the kind of home we were raised in and all, this made me feel terrible and very bad of myself. I'd always made sure to never make use of these privileges that had been given to us, courtesy of my family and all, but all these did not stop the students of the school from ostracizing me and my sister. She didn't really care for this, seeing as she could basically do anything she wanted, whenever she wanted, and however she wanted. Basically, I had no friends, right from the moment of getting into high school, until my last year in high school. This was when we had a transfer student from a whole other city. She had come here based on the fact that her parents were offered a new job in the area, and they had to move, because the new job provided them with new company, owned property and all. That very week of resumption, I was initially against the idea of resuming back to the same old high school, seeing as it didn't feel like we were really welcomed at all. But my sister Emily still pushed for the idea of remaining in the same school, seeing as she'd already made herself fully integrated into the system, basically built around and for us. At this point, she had seemed like a power-hungry individual that was trying to protect what was theirs by all possible and necessary means. She began to throw a tantrum. I basically had no say in the matter. Anyways, to cut the long story of how my sister got her way short, my dad basically told me to still resume back in the school as I had no particular say or choice in the matter at the time. This was something that really hit me hard, as it was clear the obvious favoritism that was in play right in front of my eyes, but I just chose to ignore this. I just decided to go with what my dad had concluded on, but one could easily tell that she was easily spoiled like straight up spoilt and sooner rather than later, it soon backfired. So right after resuming back to school, we were just getting back into the schooling system, getting to meet our friends again, engaging in sporting activities, as usual, and just the general vibe of the entire school and all. This was when, immediately after our first class, our homeroom teacher came in for the meet class with his teaching materials in hand, as he was accompanied by a younger girl, about 5'6 or 5'7 approximately, She had blonde hair, one of the most amazing smiles I'd ever seen in my entire life, and the most beautiful name a person can have, Angel. To me, at that very moment she walked into the room, she truly was an angel. I just knew it at that very moment that she was truly special. I could not get a conversation going with her at the time, mainly because of the preferential treatment my sister and myself were getting at the time. Even though I tried my possible best to turn down the majority of these benefits, we were just on the basic of all levels, which was that we were only throwing very slight glances at each other. This little charade went on for quite a couple of weeks, until at long final last, I decided to summon up the courage and approach her. The only problem I had was finding the perfect spot I could do that apparently. For one, I could just not find the courage and walk up to hearing the class setting as every single time I even attempt to leave or enter the classroom, I could always feel the stares from the members in the class. Although I'm already used to it, it's still something I get uncomfortable with from time to time. Anyways, the classroom areas were just out of it, as well as the cafeteria, as where Emily and I usually had our lunch, was a whole different place from the others. And then even the fields in the gymnasium that were being put to use during sporting activity hours. 
The only option I had left was apparently after schooling hours, but this too was proving to also be a little problem, as my dad had already appointed a driver for Emily and myself, tasked with the job of taking care of our movement, both to and fro from school straight home, and any other place, as long as it's within places we were allowed to visit at specific times and all. Following this, I had to make my plan revolve around the end period of schooling activities, and I also had to make it quick also, as it had seemed that I would not be able to leave the impression I wanted at the time if she saw the car that was bringing me to school and all. Mostly, I didn't want to come off as pompous and oppressive in some sense due to wealth and all that, all while not also making it seem like I was not myself. My true self, that is. Anyways, I just waited at the entrance to the school, which was also the exit, for the end of the school session or period to be over. And I didn't have to wait for too long, as the end of the school session of the day was soon announced, and students soon began to come outside in the multitudes and all. I was afraid at this point that I wouldn't have been able to see her, or execute the plan I'd wanted and as I wanted also. But I saw her and talked to her finally. Just as I was about to get her number and all before she had left, I saw my driver already beginning to pull up, I just hurriedly asked her to write her digits down for me so that I maintained contact with her. She agreed when she saw that I was in a bit of a hurry at the time, and when she gave me the number, I thanked her as I began walking away from her and also away from where my driver was parked, as I didn't want her to see me entering or anywhere beside the car. I didn't know why, but at this moment I truly felt like a child. Probably it was because of the way I was acting before and after I'd collected her number. But anyways, when I got home, I texted her that same night as I spent almost three to four hours contemplating and thinking of exactly what I would and could say to her when I'd finally summoned up the courage to do so, and apparently I had no idea that the time was already far spent. If my memory serves me right, I remember I called her that evening and asked her some pretty absurd and cringe questions that, looking back now, I don't think I can even imagine myself saying those words again. I think I was out of character at some point, because I was literally acting like a baby the whole time and all. Anyways, we talked for over an hour and some minutes, of which I can remember next to nothing of what was said that day. I'm still surprised that she managed to talk to me for that long though. At the end of the call, she told me something very shocking which I still cannot believe. So while I was about to end the call that night, she told me that she appreciated that I came to talk to her and all, and that she found me attractive and all. She also told me that she enjoyed the conversation we had that night, and she had hoped we had more as the time went on. I was really surprised with what she said, as I didn't even have anything to respond to her with. I just told her thank you as I hung up. This was apparently the first of our many conversations to come. Every time we even met in school, she would always behave very friendly with me. One would even think we'd been friends for quite a while, and even best friends at that. Well, we were the best of friends at the time, but soon after I began developing intimate feelings for her, and what came next would literally shape how the next five years of my life would play out. So the day was right after we had just had our pop test, given to us by our homeroom teacher at the time. Right after the test, she came to me and suggested we head to the cafeteria and have lunch together. I immediately agreed as this was practically the first time I would be having any kind of food in the school's cafeteria, since I'd first stepped foot in the school. Anyways, we got in, and we went to the counter to get our trays and get our food, while we had settled down after getting our food. Initially, in my mind, I'd planned to ask her out right then and there, and confess my newfound feelings for her. 
However, right after settling down, before I could even gather my thoughts completely, like she was perfectly waiting for this exact moment, and as if she were reading my mind, she asked the exact question I was still summoning up the courage to ask her. I was completely speechless. She has her way of doing things that just leaves me speechless at times. At this moment, I just went quiet for a while, and then I finally had something to say. I just asked her why she had asked me that question at that particular time, and how she knew that that was what I wanted to ask her. We went back and forth, trying to get a better understanding of our current situationship status, and deciding as to whether we really wanted to advance our relationship to the next level. We wanted to be sure that this was what the both of us wanted at the time, and once we had established this, I accepted to be her boyfriend and she accepted to be mine also. And so began my first ever relationship. We were off to a pretty amazing start, as we both understood ourselves perfectly and knew what we both wanted at the time. Things were apparently happening right under my nose, and I had no idea at this time. I soon came to the conclusion that I didn't want to hide anything from Angel anymore, and so I decided to tell her who I really was, and basically everything I'd been hiding from her up until this point. And yet again, you can guess it, she definitely shocked me by her reaction. When I told her, it had seemed like she was literally unfazed by what I had just told her, making me a bit worried and a tad scared. But after I told her everything, she just told me to bring her to my place as she wanted someplace private with me, as she said she wanted some alone time for the both of us. I guess you could say I was seriously naive at the time, because I could most definitely not tell what she was talking about at that time. Anyways, at the end of the school period that day, she suggested we went that very day. I couldn't tell at the time why she was so eager to have alone time with me, and at the very moment I just told her the things I was hiding from her. I didn't think much of it at the time, so I just called for our driver and asked he took us straight home. When we got home, both my parents weren't at home, as the caretaker told us that the both of them had traveled out for a business trip and would not be back till the weekend. I just took Angel straight to my room, as I'd initially planned for her to meet both my parents, as I was really serious about her at the time. Anyways, when we got upstairs to my room, she excused herself as she went into the bathroom. I guess to ease herself, or so I thought. I had no idea that she had set up a camera right there in the bathroom that was recording everything that was going on in the room. As soon as she came out of the bathroom, without even giving me a chance to breathe or think, She quickly came onto me, as she began kissing me aggressively, all while taking clothes off in the process. I stopped her right as she was going for my trousers, and I tried to ask her what it was that she was doing, and what exactly she wanted. And the next reply again, as you can guess, obviously shocked me. She just said she had gotten all that she wanted, as I was still puzzled staring at her, thinking about what she had just said and what it meant. She went straight into the bathroom and picked up her phone and stopped the recording. And then she began to tell me how everything up until now had been a general facade, orchestrated by herself and some other members of the school to teach my family a lesson, and mainly my sister. I was seriously dumbfounded at this point. Without going too far, she immediately sent the video to the whole school, while trying to play things off as myself coming onto her aggressively, and trying to have my way with her. Soon after, she had left my house. I began to receive numerous messages from the principal summoning me to his office immediately. After trying to call both my parents and explaining the whole situation to them, 
but I got no response from them. And then my sister of all people, who I had least expected, came to me and said we should head to the principal's office together. When we got there, we saw both of Angel's parents who were already looking furious enough. They tried to begin their assault on me when my sister stopped her and presented a video to the principal, clearly showing every single thing that happened right from the moment we entered my room to the moment she left. Her parents were speechless at the new evidence that was presented before them as they began to plead not to push for legal action to be taken. And seeing that I was already a legal adult, it was my decision to choose whether or not to go for legal action. And after seeing her face and realizing that she could do something like that to me, I called our family lawyer and he pushed legal action and the rest is history. The end of the whole case was basically for Angel and the other parties involved to pay a very huge compensation fee, after which they would basically be left with nothing to their names. This was the last I saw of Angel. Honestly, I'd be willing to bet that if OP had gotten a hold of their parents, they would have been honestly right behind them, because I could imagine people who do have this kind of favoritism in this wealth They're probably pretty common targets for people who try to have this kind of revenge or even like an extortion scheme which this very well could have appeared to have been. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.